With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. Glad to have you with me this morning. If you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. This hour sponsored by Dynamic Money. You need help with your finances, teaching your kids good finances. Uh, getting yourself out of debt, restructuring debt. Check out Dynamic Money. Chris Burns, thanks to him for hosting yesterday as well. Uh, thank you to Dynamic Money for sponsoring the show. Go to dynamicmoney.com. Uh, Mark Lauder from the Trump campaign is going to be joining me in the next hour to talk about impeachment. Gordon Sunland will be taking his seat momentarily as necessary. I will bring up the House impeachment stuff. We will get to the House impeachment situation, but I want to ask you uh, to bear with me first since I was gone yesterday. By the way, my wife's scans were good yesterday. Thank you for the prayers. Uh, her, she goes every three months for her oncology scans. They were good yesterday. We'll go back in three months. Uh, metronomic regularity with that. Thank you very much for your prayers uh, and and your well wishes and kind words. Many of you emailed. Um, again, the phone number eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I I want to start before I do anything else. I want to talk about Chick fil A. Uh, had I been here yesterday, we would have talked about it yesterday, uh, could not. And I, I think it's worth discussing uh, Chick-fil-A, the, the culture war chicken, whether they want to be in the culture war or not. For those of you who are, are not sure of the story, and I got to tell you, the story broke during this show on Monday. The news interview came out. I had it in my hands uh, before 1030 on Monday morning, and I thought it was a joke. Uh, I, I had never heard of the website. I, I didn't think it was real, so I didn't even bother discussing it on the show. And it blew up that afternoon. Turns out the story is real. Chick-fil-A has confirmed it. And uh, they are they have made a lot of their loyal customer base mad with what happened. And I, so I want to navigate this. Let me give you the facts first. Let's make some presuppositions and, and then let's handle this. And I'll, I'll be happy to take your calls on this as well. Chick-fil-A has in the past supported a number of outside charities charities through its foundation, essentially part of the profits of Chick-fil-A go into the Chick-fil-A foundation. The foundation then directs charitable giving for the company. In the past, Chick-fil-A has uh, been a longtime supporter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the Salvation Army. As a result of supporting both organizations, Chick-fil-A has come under attack from progressive activists for being a homophobic company. As, as you will recall, in the past, Chick-fil-A supported uh, nonprofits that funded marriage 
uh, traditional marriage, supported traditional marriage, were considered to be anti-gay groups by left-wing activists. And Chick-fil-A redirected money away from those organizations over time, uh, went with the Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They're now being attacked for supporting these. The Salvation Army in particular has come under sustained attack by left-wing groups who are convinced that it is a homophobic uh, organization. Now, I, I can tell you from my experience in dealing with the Salvation Army, I'm a huge supporter of the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army does not care whether you are gay, straight, transgendered, or, or, or anything else. You can be any member of the alphabet LGBTQ gang, and you can get served by the Salvation Army. Likewise, you can be a member of the alphabet gang and work at the Salvation Army. You can even get spousal benefits in your same-sex marriage uh, from the Salvation Army. The organization uh, recognizes God's sovereignty and believes that uh, God created us and believes in biblical truths. And part of the biblical truth is love your neighbor, help everybody. And that's what the Salvation Army does. And it is mind boggling that the left has decided the Salvation Army, the largest nonprofit dedicated to helping homelessness in the United States, is somehow a controversial organization. Uh, But the Salvation Army is under attack. And just this past week, uh, Ellie Goulden, a British singer, said she would boycott an appearance she would cancel an appearance at a sporting event that she was going to participate in because uh, the salvation army was going to get the proceeds from that event and left-wing activists pressured her and and she said she wouldn't do it unless uh the salvation army bowed to the woke mob which they're not doing so chick-fil-a comes out and and the president and chief operating officer of chick-fil-a whose name is uh, Tim Tessopoulos, released a statement uh, saying that they're not going to give to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes or the Salvation Army anymore. He said in an interview, there's no question we know that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are. There are lots of articles and newscasts about Chick-fil-A, and we thought we needed to clear be clear about our message. So the Salvation Army and Fellowship of Christian Athletes are out. They're going to give to some other organizations, one called Covenant House. Covenant House has had its own scandal in the past, and I'm sure the left will come after them. The left is declaring victory on Chick-fil-A. The left, it is, it should be noted, it, progressive activists are declaring this a win, saying they have essentially shamed Chick-fil-A into getting rid of the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes as groups they fund with their money. Uh, What troubles conservatives is Tessopoulos' statement that as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are, uh, saying that as he distances the company from the Salvation Army. Now, what are these new markets? Well, remember, Chick-fil-A wanted to go into the British market and wanted to go into various airports in progressive enclaves, and they've been blocked by governmental entities. And in fact, uh, in Britain, it was the, the landlord threw them out for being anti-gay. And they were cited, the anti-gay support was uh, part of what people have been citing is the Salvation Army. So as we go into new markets, we need to be clear about who we are. So they stop funding the Salvation Army. They say they want to fund homelessness. Ironically, the Salvation Army is the largest nonprofit in this country dedicated to fighting homelessness. So for Chick-fil-A to say it's got to distance itself from uh, from the Salvation Army to support homelessness is like the Navy saying it's got to get off large bodies of water and onto dry land in order to float ships. It it makes no sense. So conservatives have interpreted this as a cave to the left. The left has interpreted this as a cave to the left. Interestingly enough, glad the radical gay rights group is saying this isn't enough. Uh, Chick-fil-A still needs to be condemned and boycotted uh, for still being anti-gay. 
they can't win with the woke tribe unless they capitulate and start paying reparations to uh, the alphabet gang uh, charities. Now, that, that is your synopsis of what has happened. I, I want to do something here that a lot of people aren't doing on the right, but I feel like strongly, I, I think we need to do. It's a feel and a think. Let's give Chick-fil-A the benefit of all doubt. Let, let's give them the benefit of all doubt. That let, Let's presume that this is not about uh, placating the left. Let's presume this has nothing to do with distancing themselves from, from Christian groups. Let's presume that they just, they've been giving money to these organizations and now they've decided, hey, we've given to them for several years. We want to go give to other organizations now. If we presume that, we need to come, we need to start from this position. This is Chick-fil-A's money and Chick-fil-A can do whatever it wants to do. Chick-fil-A has every right to do with its money as it wishes and no nonprofit is ever entitled to anyone's money. You are not obligated. You are not obligated to support uh, the Salvation Army. And Chick-fil-A is not obligated to support the Salvation Army. So let's make those our presuppositions. Let, let us presume that there was nothing nefarious here. Let us presume Chick-fil-A just wants to, to do as they said and, and go with new charities. They've gone with other charities in the past. Now they want to go do new things. That still causes some problems that Chick-fil-A needs to clarify. Uh, and, and it does, because whether they want to be or not, Chick-fil-A is in the culture war. Uh, they don't want to be in the culture war. They would prefer to be out of the culture war. But the left and the right are dragging them into the culture war. And frankly, the left started it. The left dragged Chick-fil-A into the culture war long before anyone on the right wanted to. It was, if, if nothing else, the right responded to the left's orthodoxies against Chick-fil-A uh, and attacking Chick-fil-A and, and redoubled their support. There are a lot of customers at Chick-fil-A who love the Salvation Army, who love the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, who love these other groups, and they interpreted Chick-fil-A distancing themselves from both groups at the moment, and this is the key, let, let's presume there's no nefarious intention, but let us also understand that this comes at the very moment the left is telling Chick-fil-A that they will be fought ruthlessly in airports and, and in local locations around the world until they distance from these two groups. And they just so happen to distance from the two groups the left is telling them, you got to stop supporting. So it can be coincidence and it can be bad communications, but it has left an impression that Chick-fil-A is caving, caving to the left-wing mob. They're trying to make friends of enemies by making enemies of their friends. Now, we can say that's not what they intended, but I think we also need to recognize, acknowledge, and admit that that's how it's been interpreted by both the left and the right. So I think Chick-fil-A needs to do some things here to make this right and to, to clarify the situation because I have talked to multiple reporters. You do need to know this piece of it. I've talked to multiple reporters who have reached out to Chick-fil-A and have asked a very simple question. Will you in the future support Christian groups that publicly maintain biblical orthodoxy on marriage and gender identity? And Chick-fil-A has not said yes to that question. They've not said no either. They've tried to avoid the question, and that has made people suspicious. So if I were Chick-fil-A, here's what I would do. One, I would release a statement saying that they are proud to have supported the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the Salvation Army. Two, 
they will they have decided to reprioritize their donations to help other nonprofits after years of supporting these groups and in the future they would very much want to consider going back to supporting these groups but feel there are other worthy causes that are deserving of their money right now three i would tell them they need to acknowledge their customers' concerns that they're caving and say that they support the Salvation Army and the mission of the Salvation Army and a fellowship of Christian athletes and the mission of fellowship of Christian athletes, and they wish them well, and they do not regret supporting them in the past, and they encourage their customers to continue supporting them in the future. And four, I would work with local franchisees to invite the bell ringers. Let the Salvation Army bell ringers come to Chick-fil-A this year. And basically what that would be doing is it would be putting the burden of support on the customer base. The customer base is upset that Chick-fil-A is not going to support Salvation Army. Well, you go support the Salvation Army and Chick-fil-A will make it easy for you. They'll have the bell ringers at at Chick-fil-A. Come on to Chick-fil-A, drop money in the bucket as you walk in the door or go through the drive-thru. So Chick-fil-A will be showing they're, they're not afraid to be affiliated with the Salvation Army. They're not afraid to be affiliated with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that that it will be making clear to people that contrary to what is being claimed by the left and the right, that they're not walking away from from the Salvation Army in particular. That's the one that, that has everybody really upset about. Here, let's just, let's let's concede that there's no no ill motive on Chick-fil-A's part. Let, let's, for the sake of argument, some people are, are absolutely convinced they caved. I, frankly, I'll tell you, I am convinced that Chick-fil-A, given the statements of Tim Tessopoulos, that they wanted to distance themselves from uh, the Salvation Army. I, we could all be wrong here. That's why I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Although I'm pretty, the way the statement read, it makes it sound like they want to walk away because of left-wing pro, uh, pressure. But we should acknowledge whether or not that's the case. What this has done is it has emboldened Chick-fil-A's critics and the critics of the Salvation Army. It essentially makes it look like Chick-fil-A is tacitly endorsing the left's argument that the Salvation Army is a hate group. It is. Whether, whether, you, like, whether you like it or not, it is essentially embracing the idea that the Salvation Army's hate group, Chick-fil-A, says so it's going to make the left think they can bully other organizations. If Chick-fil-A, a purportedly Christian organization, that's how the left views it, is willing to cave on the matter of the Salvation Army, how many other groups will now be willing to cave? The bell ringers are going to be targeted. Already, you've got a, a massive shopping a big box store like Target saying they're not welcome here because they annoy people. They're going to go after Walmart next. They're going to go after Kroger. They're going to go after Publix. They're going to go after all of these grocery stores and other big box stores that have allowed the Salvation Army to stand out front and ring bells. And they're going to say, hey, Chick-fil-A no longer wants to do, do business with this group. Why are you people doing business with this group? It makes no sense for you to be doing business with this group. It's going to make it easier for the left to target the Salvation Army. The other thing it's going to do is it's going to embolden the left to continue to harass Chick-fil-A because it looks like, intentionally or not, it looks like Chick-fil-A bent the knee to him. And that's how it's being viewed by the press. That's how it's being viewed by the public. That's how it's being viewed by Chick-fil-A's customers. It makes it look like they've bent the knee to the left-wing progressive woke mob. And so they're going to demand absolute fealty. You're already seeing it with GLAAD, this radical gay rights group, saying it's not enough. you got to do more. 
It also means that the new charities that Chick-fil-A gives to are going to be targeted by the left. They are going to have a, a digital rectal exam by the left. They're going to come after them. They're going to examine everything about them. They're going to make sure they're not a hate group. By the way, a couple of them are uh, faith-based groups. The left is going to target these groups in the same way they've targeted the Salvation Army, in the same way they've targeted the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because what Chick-fil-A has done has emboldened these groups. Even if everyone is misinterpreting Chick-fil-A, even if everyone is misunderstanding what Chick-fil-A is doing, Chick-fil-A is allowing this to go on by not clarifying the record. And in so not clarifying the record, they're allowing this perception to set in that even Chick-fil-A thinks the Salvation Army is bad. And Chick-fil-A is willing to cave to the mob in order to get into new markets. If Chick-fil-A is willing to bend the knee to the woke mob, then the woke mob will be emboldened to target other groups as well. And this is unfortunate because so many people have for so long supported Chick-fil-A, had Chick-fil-A's back, stood up for Chick-fil-A, and went went out of their way to go to Chick-fil-A to make a point of supporting that restaurant. Without bowing to the woke mob, without bending the knee, Chick-fil-A became the third most profitable fast food restaurant in the country. It doesn't need to bend the knee. So be absolutely charitable to Chick-fil-A. Let's presume there were no ill intent. Let's presume it's just they've given money to the Salvation Army and Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a long time. Now they want to move on to other charities. That's fine. But even in so doing, we need to acknowledge that it has left an impression and Chick-fil-A itself is the only entity that can clarify that it means no ill will to either of these organizations and that it still stands with these organizations and that it may come back to these organizations and that it's not running away from faith-based entities that maintain biblical orthodoxy. Only Chick-fil-A can do that. And until they do, they've left the impression that they are capitulating, whether they are or they aren't. They can fix this and they can do it today and they should. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Phone lines are open 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me. Uh, Thanks again for the prayers for my wife and and her scans were good. Y'all, I thought, you know, so I really did on Monday about 10, 1030, the Chick-fil-A story hit the wires and I really thought it was fake news. I I really did. I'd never heard of the website. Um, Tim... uh, Tassopoulos gave the interview to a website called BizNow. I've never heard of BizNow. I, I didn't know BizNow was a real website. Um, and by the way, it's interesting that the headline of this organization on, on which they gave the interview, this is, this is their headline exclusive, Chick-fil-A to stop donations to charities with anti-LGBT views. That's how even they spun the story where the CEO um, the the CEO chief operating officer sat down with them and made this interview. So it, it kind of um, kind of plays out that uh, they want to walk away from Christian groups that maintain biblical orthodoxy. Given they set for this interview, that's the headline at this interview. But I I did not think it was a real site. I I, I got to admit. I, I thought it was a was a scam, um, that it was a fake news story, but it's not. It's a real website, and Chick Fil A's come out to confirm it. There was another story I saw, and I thought this was a I thought this was nonsensical too. I could not believe that this was a real story, and part of me still expects that this story is going to be denied. Let me read you the headline. This is at CNN. 
Now I I know I know I know. Come on, listen. I I, I understand. It's I say this is at CNN and and your first radio. Oh, it could be fake news. Then I I get it. I get it. But seriously, uh, the Hollywood Reporter first reported this. CNN has picked up the story. Headline: A Hollywood executive wanted Julia Roberts of Pretty Woman fame to play Harriet Tubman in a biopic. Now. For those of you in DeKalb County, Julia Roberts is white with red hair and Harriet Tubman is black with black hair. A Hollywood studio executive once suggested that Julia Roberts should play iconic African-American activist Harriet Tubman in a biopic. In a recent Q&A, screenwriter Gregory Allen Howard opened up about the 26-year journey to getting the Harriet biopic to the big screen. At the time the effort started, he said Hollywood was not the same. I wanted to turn Harriet Tubman's life, which I'd studied in college, into an action-adventure movie. The climate in Hollywood, however, was very different back then. I was told how one studio head said in a meeting, this script is fantastic. Let's get Julia Roberts to play Harriet Harriet Tubman. No one was going to know the difference because of people's ignorance of American history. I, I, I would point out that this guy says, I was told how one studio head said. So someone told this guy this. He didn't hear it himself, but it's Hollywood. You and I both know this is totally plausible. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Just a heads up to everyone at at 1230 today, if you're on the recipe list, you're going to get two recipes uh, making up for last week. Uh, You are going to get a sausage egg bake and a French toast casserole recipe. And the reason that I'm sitting these together is because I make them together. Uh, You make them the night before you put them in the fridge uh, and then you get up in the morning, Thanksgiving morning, wherever you pop them in the oven 45 minutes and you got breakfast one savory one sweet uh french toast casserole is kind of a sweet one the the sausage egg bake is a savory one they're both very easy to make uh and i highly recommend them my family typically comes to our house every year for thanksgiving and i we do all the cooking and cleaning and and housing and and feeding everything because I'm exhausted by this time of year. I've traveled so much for the year. And now with this radio show, I'm I'm actually going to take a break and not do anything this Thanksgiving. It'll be unusual for me to not do any cooking for Thanksgiving, but I'm kind of looking forward to it because I do it every year. Um, But typically everyone comes to our house for Thanksgiving. And what I do is I make a big batch of sausage egg bake and the French toast casserole, and you can live on their leftovers. You can live on it for two days, uh, despite the number of people, given the batches I make, they're easily doubled. Um, but it, it gives everybody is savory and sweet for breakfast. It's the perfect combination. Uh, so it's sausage, egg, bacon, French toast, casserole. They're easy to make. They cook at the same time. Uh, you put them in the oven together. They come out at the same time. You make them the night before. You keep them in the fridge. You keep them outside if it's cold, just well-wrapped. Uh, I've done that before. It was so cold outside. We didn't have space in the fridge. I just wrapped them up tight and left them outside and then popped them in the oven the next morning. And they were actually probably colder outside because it got down to freezing uh, than they were by leaving them in the fridge. But it worked just fine. If you want these recipes, they go out at 1230 today. I've got it set. They're ready to go. uh, Already done. Text the word recipe to 33777. Text the word recipe to 33777. Uh, Do it by noon, 1215 today, and you'll be able to get the recipes. Uh, Text recipe to 33777, and and you'll get some more uh, later this week as well. Um, 
as I make up for lost time on this. Gordon Sunland is uh, giving his statement right now on to the House impeachment inquiry. Let's listen to this for just a minute. I had access to all of my phone records, State Department emails, and many, many other State Department documents. And I was told I could not work with my EU staff to pull together the relevant files and information. Having access to the State Department materials would have been very helpful to me in trying to reconstruct with whom I spoke and met and when and what was said. As ambassador, I've had hundreds of meetings and calls with individuals, but I'm not a note taker or a memo writer, never have been. My job requires that I speak with heads of state, senior government officials, members of the cabinet, the president, almost each and every day. Talking with foreign leaders might be memorable to some people, but this is my job. I do it all the time. My lawyers and I have made multiple requests to the State Department and the White House for these materials. Yet, these materials were not provided to me, and they have also refused to share these materials with this committee. These documents are not classified and in fairness, and in fairness should have been made available. In the absence of these materials, my memory admittedly has not been perfect. And I have no doubt that a more fair, open and orderly process of allowing me to read the State Department records and other materials would have made this process far more transparent. Holy cow, he's essentially throwing the White House under the bus, uh, Sunlin. This is his own CYA mode. Holy moly, um, <laughs> that the White House isn't giving me or you what I need to read. Re okay, I, I, can I just say something real quick, just just on, on what we heard, and this is his opening statement. You, you're the ambassador, and it is your job to have meetings with people and you say you're not a note taker and that you don't remember stuff so you're not a note taker and you don't remember anything so what good are you uh th this is someone who probably needs to be fired uh in, in fact uh there are hints of the white house they're trying to make him the fall guy and and perhaps he knows that they're trying to make him the fall guy. It, it sounds like uh, he is trying to to do some serious CYA in the statement. Let, let's listen to a little more. Again, this is Gordon Sunland. He is testified before the House Impeachment Committee right now as I'm talking. So we followed the president's orders. Second, although we disagreed with the need to involve Mr. Giuliani, at the time we did not believe that his role was improper. As I previously testified, if I had known of all of Mr. Giuliani's dealings or his associations with individuals, some of whom are now under criminal indictment, I personally would not have acquiesced to his participation. Still, given what we knew at the time, what we were asked to do did not appear to be wrong. Third, let me say, precisely because we did not think that we were engaging in improper behavior, we made every effort to ensure that the relevant decision makers at the National Security Council and the State Department 
knew the important details of our efforts. The suggestion that we were engaged in some irregular or rogue diplomacy is absolutely false. I have now identified certain State Department emails and messages that provide contemporaneous support for my view. These emails show that the leadership of the State Department, the National Security Council, and the White House were all informed about the Ukraine efforts from May 23, 2019 until the security aid was released on September 11, 2019. I will quote from some of those messages with you shortly. Fourth, as I testified previously, as I testified previously, Mr. Giuliani's requests were a quid pro quo for arranging a White House visit for President Zelensky. Mr. Giuliani demanded that Ukraine make a public statement announcing the investigations of the 2016 election DNC server and Burisma. Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the President of the United States and we knew these investigations were important to the President. Fifth, in July and August of 2019, we learned that the White House had also suspended security aid to Ukraine. I was adamantly opposed to any suspension of aid. I was adamantly, adamantly opposed to any suspension of aid, as the Ukrainians needed those funds to fight against Russian aggression. I tried diligently to ask why the aid was suspended, but I never received a clear answer. Still haven't to this day. In the absence of any credible explanation for the suspension of aid, I later came to believe that the resumption of security aid would not occur until there was a public statement from Ukraine committing to the investigations of the 2016 elections and Burisma, as Mr. Giuliani had demanded. I shared concerns of the potential quid pro quo regarding the security aid with Senator Ron Johnson, and I also shared my concerns with the Ukrainians. Get ready, this is getting interesting. Finally, at all times, I was acting in good faith. I was acting in good faith. As a presidential appointee, I followed the directions of the president. We worked with Mr. Giuliani because the president directed us to do so. We had no desire to set any conditions. We had no desire to set any conditions on the Ukrainians. Indeed, my own personal view which I shared repeatedly with others, was that the White House and security, security assistance should have proceeded without preconditions of any kind. We were working to overcome the problems given the facts as they existed. Our only interest, and my only interest, was to advance longstanding U.S. policy and to support Ukraine's fragile democracy. Now let me provide additional details specifically about Ukraine and my involvement. First, 
my very first days as ambassador to the EU, which was starting back in July of 2018. I'm going to wind this part down right now. This is Gordon Sondland. He's testifying right now before the House impeachment inquiry with the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, he has essentially thrown the president. He's thrown everybody under the bus. Just so you uh, understand, let me read you his uh, start of his statement. Uh, we missed this start of it. Uh, first, Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volker, and I worked with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters at the express direction of the President of the United States. We did not want to work with Mr. Giuliani. Simply put, we played the hand we were dealt. We all understood that if we refused to work with Mr. Giuliani, we would lose an important opportunity to cement relations between the United States and Ukraine. So we followed the President's orders. He goes on to say there was a quid pro quo. Uh, that uh, the money to Ukraine was being held up uh, on the Burisma um, situation and the 2016 investigation. Um, and now, of course, he's saying he expressed these concerns to Senator Ron Johnson. Senator Ron Johnson has thus far said he knew of of no concerns, uh, So, but he hasn't submitted formal testimony. So it's, you need to understand this about Gordon Sundland, just so you understand where we are in this hearing process. Uh, Gordon Sundland, the EU ambassador, was a Jeb Bush guy. He poured money into Jeb Bush super PACs, and Jeb Bush lost. Uh, Gordon Sundland poured money into efforts to stop Donald Trump, and Gordon Sundland lost. And then when Donald Trump became president, uh, Gordon Sundland wrote a fat check to the inaugural committee to get into the president's good graces. And uh, people lobbied on his behalf to be the EU ambassador. And here he is as the EU ambassador. So the Trump people have eyed this testimony nervously with good reason because they knew there wasn't a ton of loyalty there between Sundland and the president. This is going to reinforce that view for the president and um, those around him that Sundland is is being in some ways disloyal. Sunlin, of course, is trying to keep himself out of jail for perjury because Sunlin originally denied that a lot of stuff happened and uh, Bill Taylor and Tim Morrison and others have come forward and directly contradicted things Sunlin originally said, which is why I, I tuned in at the perfect moment. It was not planned. Uh, tune in and he says, uh, so I didn't keep any notes and I do this so much that I don't remember everything. It all runs together and the State Department won't let me look at the documents and they won't let you look at the documents and they're not classified and the State Department, bad. Uh, throwing everybody under the bus to keep himself out of jail. Um, that's a, this is going to be interesting. And, and, you know, we've got all the testimony from the other day. I'll get to that stuff. There's other news we got to get to as well today. But let me fire him back up here for just we a minute. excited about the possibility of Ukraine making the changes necessary to support a greater Western economic investment. And... We were excited that Ukraine might, after years and years of lip service, finally get serious about addressing its own well-known corruption problems. With that enthusiasm, we returned to the White House on May 23rd to brief President Trump. We advised the President of the strategic importance of Ukraine and the value of strengthening the relationship with President Zelensky. To support this reformer, we asked the White House for two things. First, a working phone call between Presidents Trump and Zelensky, and second, a working Oval Office visit. In our view, both were vital to cementing the U.S.-Ukraine relationship. 
demonstrating support for Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression, and advancing broader U.S. foreign policy interests. Unfortunately, President Trump was skeptical. He expressed concerns that the Ukrainian government was not serious about reform, and he even mentioned that Ukraine tried to take him down in the last election. In response to our persistent efforts in that meeting to change his views, President Trump directed us to, quote, talk with Rudy. We understood that talk with Rudy meant talk with Mr. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer. Let me say again, we weren't happy with the president's directive to talk with Rudy. We did not want to involve Mr. Giuliani. I believe then, as I do now, that the men and women of the State Department, not the president's personal lawyer, should take responsibility for Ukraine matters. Nonetheless, based on the president's direction, we were faced with a choice. We could abandon the efforts to schedule the White House phone call and a White House visit between Presidents Trump and Zelensky, which was unquestionably in our foreign policy interest, or we could do as President Trump had directed and talk with Rudy. Ouch. Uh, yeah, he's, he's throwing them all under the bus. Sunland is. This may be the most exciting te impeachment testimony we've had. He does not want to go to jail for lying to Congress. In his previous testimony, he's given them everything they want. My goodness gracious. Uh, he, he said in his statement, I work with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters of the express direction of the President of the United States and then says... We did not want to work with Mr. Giuliani, and yet he did. Uh, <laughs> uh, this this is a new twist for today, um, but is it going to change anybody's mind? No. No, it's not. That's why this should be settled at the election and not the impeachment process. We'll be back. We'll take your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, uh, the Sondland testimony. I, 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 there's a lot I want to talk about. In fact, when we come back, I, we'll, we'll put a pause on Gordon Sondland because there's a David versus Goliath story in Georgia that's worth talking about. A, a local small business in Georgia suing Target. Uh, for trademark infringement. It's actually a kind of neat story uh, to see someone doing that. Uh, and I, I, I got to mention here, we are, the president on Sunday had that surprise visit to Walter Reed Hospital. He hasn't disclosed what went on. His uh, staff says it's no big deal. And we are now, uh, it is Wednesday, and the press is still melting down about the president going to the hospital and not telling them what it's about. And, and of course, it's, it's oh, they lie about everything. This is probably, he's going to die. You, you would think, given the press's hostility to the president, they would be excited by this news. But no, they're, they're really upset that uh, the president and, and the White House are keeping information about the president's health. Uh, from them. It, it is amazing uh, really to watch the media meltdown over this uh, four days removed now from the story. People still question it, even as the Gordon Sunland testimony is going on. They are upset about it. Uh, it, it. It reminds me there have been numerous stories out about uh, how people view the press these days. And that the press has a hard time of distinguishing between things that should generate outrage and things that shouldn't. And it is the press itself 
that really has been having problems with um, with focusing on things that matter. The press itself can't distinguish between things that should be outrageous and things that couldn't. In the age of Trump, everything is outrageous. And that's not the way the world is supposed to work, and that's not the way things are supposed to happen. And so it's really hard for people to get worked up, even about this impeachment stuff. I, I, I don't believe that the polling will change. In fact, we got a lot of polling out there we'll get into later that suggests the American public wants to settle this at the ballot box and not in an impeachment hearing. And independent voters who initially wanted to go the impeachment route are now saying, no, nah, hold off. Let, let's do let's do an election here. Let's go back to Gordon Sundland here, who's still talking. Wrote to us as follows. Just had a meeting with Andre and Vadim referring to Ukraine Foreign Minister Vadim Prostyko. Taylor said the Ukrainians were, quote, very concerned about what Lutsenko told them, that according to RG, meaning Rudy Giuliani, the Zelensky-POTUS meeting will not happen. Volker responded, good grief, please tell Vadim to let the official U.S. government representatives speak for the U.S. Lutsenko has his own self-interest here. Taylor confirmed that he had communicated that message to the Ukrainians. Lutsenko has his own self-interest here. Taylor confirmed that he had communicated that message to the Ukrainians. And he added, I briefed Ulrich this afternoon on this, referring to State Department Counselor Ulrich Brechtbull. Again, everyone's in the loop. Three th- That's Gordon Sunland. Uh, there was a report out last week. We didn't have a chance to get into it very deeply that the White House intends to make Rudy Giuliani the fall guy. And it appears here that Gordon Sunland uh, is playing his role. <laughs> and I think he's not doing it on the White House orders because he's throwing the president under the bus as well. But uh, I, I think it, it's certainly clear that everyone was upset with Rudy Giuliani and that they think Rudy Giuliani misled the president. And that perhaps is the president's best defense and impeachment, that he was misled by his own lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who he trusted. And when people say, well, why didn't you trust the State Department and whatnot? And he can say, well, look at all the leakers. Look at Anonymous. I knew they were there. I couldn't trust them, so I had to trust Rudy, and Rudy misled me. And the president could probably get off of that, um, badly misled by his advisors. When we come back, David versus Goliath in Georgia, and the Democrats are coming to debate down in Georgia. We need to discuss that. It is that time for me to tell y'all how awesome the Quip electric toothbrush is. Don't don't fast forward through this. Stick around. Listen, uh, because it's the truth. I use my Quip every day. My daughter uses hers. My wife uses hers. We got to get our ten year old on a regular brushing schedule. I'm, he's that's another story for another day. Quip is a great toothbrush, folks. Uh, you can go out as I have and buy the hundred dollar Sonic toothbrushes uh, that supposedly do some sort of brilliant job. They don't fit in the back of my mouth. I don't think they fit in the back of anybody's mouth. They're so poorly designed, and you got to char- take the charger with you wherever you go. It's it, they're terrible in design. The Quip was designed, you can tell, by Denison designers working together. It fits in the back of your mouth, so you can get a good brushing at the back of your teeth. Uh, it, it vibrates uh, great for two minutes. Get your teeth really clean every 30 seconds it pulses you can so you know it's time to move it in your mouth to a different location so you get an even cleaning it is great and every three months they send you a new brush head uh, on a subscription service it is great Um, everything is designed 
great with Quip. It works on a single AAA battery. You don't have to carry a charger with you. I just, I, I really do love this product. I've been using my Quip for two years. Well before I ever advertised for them on radio, I was using Quip because I like them. Uh, it generates great, healthy toothbrushing habits. My dentist keeps thinking I'm bleaching my teeth. I'm not just on and on. I could brag about it, but see it for yourself. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You'll get your first refill pack free. That's your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G E T Q U I P.com slash E R I C K S O N getquip.com slash Erickson. Start brushing your teeth with healthy habits with Quip. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. We are taking your phone calls as we normally do. Not that you call in. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Just a, a word of housekeeping if you're just tuning in. At uh, 12.30 today, if you're on the recipe list, uh, you will be getting two recipes, a French toast casserole and a sausage egg bake. They're what I make for my family at Thanksgiving for breakfast because you make them the night ahead. You put them in the fridge, you pop them in the oven at the same temperature and the same oven the next morning for 45 minutes and you got breakfast. Something sweet, something savory. You want these two recipes. And the way you get them is by texting the word recipe to 33777. Text recipe to 33777 to get these. Um, I got stuff I want to talk about today, but Gordon Sundland is throwing a wrench in this. Uh, this is probably the, the worst testimony for the White House. Uh, let me let me play you some of what Gordon Sundland has been saying. He's testifying right now. I'm not going to go to him live right now. Let, let me give you the, the highlights from his opening statement. President, we kept the leadership of the State Department and the NSC informed of our activities. And that included communications with Secretary of State Pompeo, his counselor, Ulrich Brechtbull, his executive secretary, Lisa Kenna, and also communications with Ambassador Bolton, Dr. Hill, Mr. Morrison, and their staff at the NSC. They knew what we were doing and why. On July 10, 2019, senior Ukrainian national security officials met with Ambassador Bolton, Ambassador Volker, Dr. Hill, Secretary Perry, myself, and several others in Washington, D.C. During that meeting, we all discussed the importance of the two action items I identified earlier. One, a working phone call, and two, a White House meeting between Presidents Trump and Zelensky. From my perspective, the July 10th meeting was a positive step toward accomplishing our shared goals. While I am now aware of accounts of the meeting from Dr. Hill and Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, their recollections of those events simply don't square with my own or with those of Ambassador Volker or Secretary Perry. I recall mentioning the prerequisite of investigations before any White House call or meeting, but I do not recall any yelling or screaming or abrupt terminations as, as others have said. Instead, after the meeting, Ambassador Bolton walked outside with our group and we all took some great pictures together outside on the White House lawn. 
That's part of his statement here, somewhat contradicting uh, Lieutenant Vindman. And then there's this on Giuliani and throwing the president under the bus. With the Ukrainians. Finally, at all times, I was acting in good faith. I was acting in good faith. As a presidential appointee, I followed the directions of the president. We worked with Mr. Giuliani because the president directed us to do so. We had no desire to set any conditions. We had no desire to set any conditions on the Ukrainians. Indeed, my own personal view, which I shared repeatedly with others, was that the White House and security, security assistance should have proceeded without preconditions of any kind. We were working to overcome the problems, given the facts as they existed. Our only interest, and my only interest, was to advance long-standing U.S. policy and to support Ukraine's fragile democracy. Now let me provide additional details specifically about Ukraine and my involvement. First, my very first days as ambassador to the EU, which was starting back in July of 2018, Ukraine has featured prominently in my broader portfolio. Ukraine's political and economic development are critical to the long-standing and long-lasting stability of Europe. And let me play one more clip from Sunland, this particularly on Giuliani, where it's pretty clear that he's throwing Giuliani under the bus. At the bottom of the hour, just so you know, Mark Lauder from uh, the Trump 2020 campaign is going to be joining me to talk about impeachment and uh, how the, the campaign shaping up, particularly with Georgia being a centerpiece for the Democrats as they come to debate tonight. And we will get into that as well. But I want to play this from Sunland, uh, sounding very much like there is going to be an effort from the White House to make Giuliani the fall guy here for misleading the president. Aid was released on September 11th, 2019. I will quote from some of those messages with you shortly. Fourth, as I testified previously, as I testified previously, Mr. Giuliani's requests were a quid pro quo for arranging a White House visit for President Zelensky. Use that word. Mr. Giuliani demanded that Ukraine make a public statement announcing the investigations of the 2016 election DNC server and Burisma. Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the President of the United States, and we knew these investigations were important to the President. Ouch. Um... That's going to be problematic for the GOP right there, um, his statement. Look for some serious pushback from the GOP on Sondland. Uh, they expected Sondland to go in today and have the president's back. Pretty clear he's protecting himself and that he is is not going to, um, well, he's not going to take one for the team. 
he's going to throw the president under the bus if he needs to to get himself out of this. Okay, Uh, I want to move on to other stuff. We'll get back to impeachment in a little while. We've got Mark Lauder coming at the bottom of the hour. The Democrats are headed to Georgia uh, for a debate tonight. We'll give you the play-by-play here on the Eric Erickson Show tomorrow. We'll take your phone calls as well. Uh, You can call in today if you like, uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Before I go any further, uh, I I do need to mention this hour is brought to you by Dynamic Money. Uh, You can go to dynamicmoney.com. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and to Chris Burns for hosting yesterday. Uh, they are my personal financial advisor. They, they actually really are. Uh, and um, this isn't just an ad. They've actually helped my wife and me tremendously, which is why I'm glad to be able to partner with them here and to have Chris fill in and, and have a friendship with Chris. If you need help figuring out how to manage your money, restructure debt, uh, get out of debt, come up with a plan, come up with a budget, teach your kids better finances, go to dynamicmoney.com. Chris is in Atlanta, but they can meet with you. They can do a a video call with you, Skype, whatever, on the phone. Uh, You don't have to drive into North Atlanta to see them. They help you wherever you are. Um, they're worth if it's, if, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey and the like, and and you're not sure that my wife and I were headed down the Dave Ramsey route, uh, several friends recommended it and Chris is local. and, And we decided instead of paying and going to classes and then trying to figure it out ourselves, we would go sit with Chris and work with Chris and, and he's been brilliant for us and helped gotten financial stress out of our lives. So go to dynamicmoney.com and he's a good dude anyway. Thanks to him for filling in yesterday. Um, Stacey Abrams has an op-ed in the Washington Post today. Headline, Republicans' extreme positions open the door for Democrats in Georgia. Uh, During the 2018 gubernatorial campaign, Vice President Pence came to Georgia. He campaigned for my opponent and, in an effort to dismiss me and the legacy of my supporters, told his audience, this ain't Hollywood, this is Georgia. Perhaps the vice president was not familiar with Georgia's vibrant film industry, or perhaps he assumed workers in that booming sector here do not belong in the South. This week, however, the nation's attention turns to Georgia, where the Democratic Party hosts its fifth presidential debate. The choice of location pays tribute not only to the industry's deepening investment here in Georgia, but also to the Democrats' growing ability to win statewide and the role we can play in helping Democrats reach 270 electoral votes. Georgia is a state Democrats can and must win. I disagree. I disagree pretty tremendously on this. Uh, And let me give you my thinking on this. And let's start with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll has Joe Biden beating Donald Trump decisively, but Donald Trump being tied or beating everyone else. Um, But as I have told you exhaustively on this program, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll overcounted people with graduate degrees and overcounted Democrats. Um, In fact, if you look at the election turnout in 2016, the president got 50% of the vote. And in the AJC's polling, they asked who you voted for in 2016, and the president only got 41% of the vote, Hillary Clinton beating him in the AJC polling. That suggests there is a significant undercount of Trump voters in the polls. Even the AJC reporters have acted skeptically of this poll. The fact of the matter is in 2018, Republicans did not turn out at presidential levels and Democrats did turn out at presidential levels. Stacey Abrams got slightly more votes than Hillary Clinton, about 45,000 more votes than Hillary Clinton got in 2016 because the Democrats continue to be fired up. Well, the Republicans will be fired up with Donald Trump on the on the uh, campaign trail and they'll turn out. There has not been a massive shift in Georgia over the last four years, let alone the last two years. I mean, the election happened in November of 2018. We are only a year removed from the Stacey Abrams, uh, Brian Kemp race. And what happened statewide? Brian Kemp won. 
It's not, I mean, people mi- misunderstand this so bad. It's not that Stacey Abrams fell 25,000 votes shy of beating Brian Kemp. It's that she fell 25,000 votes shy of getting into a runoff. Getting a text from a friend of mine said it was actually 18,000. Okay, 18,000. She didn't lose to Brian Kemp by 18,000 votes. She failed to get into a runoff by 18,000 votes. She needed more than that to beat Brian Kemp. This isn't a Democrat state. Now, the Republicans have some problems in the suburbs. Those problems are manageable if you look at what happened in Louisiana and Kentucky, where the Republicans most tied to Donald Trump, they they did lose. Brian Kemp in, in Georgia here got dinged to some degree because of, of Donald Trump, but he still won. In Kentucky, Matt Bevin lost because of his own reasons. And the way Matt Bevin decided to win because he had so much negative baggage was to be joined at the hip with Donald Trump, and it was not a winning formula for him. In Louisiana, the Republican candidate in Louisiana did the exact same thing. He didn't have his own platform. He ran tied to Donald Trump, and he lost. Look here, look here, look here. Uh, In Georgia, Brian Kemp was tied to Donald Trump, but he ran as his own man. He had his own platform. He had his own ideas. It wasn't just about backing up the president, and it wasn't just about how bad the Democrats were. He had a vision for Georgia, and he won. In Kentucky and Louisiana, the Republicans had no vision other than let's support the president and let's stop the Democrats, and they lost. Here in Georgia, this is a pathway to victory for the Republicans. You provide a path forward for the Republicans saying, this is how we're going to win. This is what our vision is. Here's how we want the state to grow, and this is the direction we want to take it. And you know what? Majority of voters in the state still identify as conservative. Yes, a majority of voters in Georgia identify as conservative, not progressive. So give them a vision. You can't just scare them about the Democrats. You've got to provide, you've got to paint a picture of what the state will look like with them in charge. Y'all, this isn't rocket science. Stacey Abrams, you need to understand the reason that she is making a big pitch for Georgia for the Democrats and why she wants play in the state is in this particular line. Political participation among voters is increasing here. Among newcomers to the state, who are many, Democrats outperform Republicans by a 30-point margin. Among newcomers to the state, who are many, Democrats outperform Republicans by a 30-point margin. This is the key here. There is not a massive change in the demographics of the state between 2016 and 2020, nor between 2018 and 2020. Abrams is playing a long game. She's not. She wants the Democrats to invest in the state in 2020, not because she really thinks that uh, the Democratic nominee will win in Georgia in 2020 but because she knows it might help her win in 2022. She's very smart. Listen, uh, I actually think very highly of Stacey Abrams, even as we disagree on virtually everything. I mean, everything. But she's a very savvy politician. She's very smart. And she knows she can't go out and tell the Democrats, hey, 
come build up the groundwork in my state for me in 2022. She's got to make it about the party's chances in 2020 with the Electoral College. She knows that the odds are they're not going to win in 2020 in Georgia. In fact, there the AJC polling was so bungled based on its sample, when you adjust in the sample, it's pretty clear the president's doing well in Georgia. And you can tell this because why? No major news outlets have picked up the AJC polling. Typically, when there's a poll like that, other news outlets pick it up, but they have it because they know the voter sample was screwed up. Abrams is using it to her benefit here in the Washington Post to say, look at this polling sample. But what she's really playing is a long game, and that's smart of her. Whether you like her or not, it's smart of her to play the long game for Georgia. She knows that they need Democrats need to pour resources into the state in 2020 to begin building up the state in order for her to run again in 2022. That's what she's doing. It's smart of her to do. It would be foolish of the Democrats to go along with it. They've got to know. And by the way, um, privately, Democrats listing states that the states believe that, that the Democrats believe really are contested states. You know what's not on the list? Georgia is not on the list. The National Democratic Party operatives do not have Georgia on the list of states that will flip to the Democrats in 2020. Think about that. Despite all the hype you hear in the media, despite all the, the stuff you hear from the Democrats, despite even bringing the Democratic debate to Georgia. They don't actually expect to flip Georgia. What they're hoping is that they can at least give such a play in Georgia that the Republicans have to spend money here and can't spend it elsewhere. Why? State legislative races. The Democrats do stand to make strong ground in the state house here in Georgia. They could flip the state house. And that has everything to do with redistricting. And that's the key to understand this play for the Democrats. It's not about winning it for the presidency. It's about winning it for redistricting in 2020 to solidify the House. And in so doing, then build the momentum for Stacey Abrams come 2022. Coming up after the bottom of the hour, Mark Lauder from Trump 2020 going to be joining me to talk about the campaign, the Democrats debate and more. Uh, Emily Golub is an entrepreneur here in Georgia. Six years ago, she launched a company called Garnish and Gather. It delivers meal kits and organic groceries sourced from Georgia farmers and growers. It was among the first meal kit companies serving the metro area, and she trademarked the name Garnish and Gather. She used a circular logo with the business name wrapped around a G&G. Leaves are part of the motif and attached to the uppercase G's. In September, Target launched Good and Gather. According to Golub, the newcomer used a circular logo with the business name wrapped around a G. Leaves are part of the motif attached to the lowercase g. Negotiations ensued between Golub's company and Target, and she has filed suit now in federal court in New York against Target, claiming trademark infringement. She's got 12 employees. She's in DeKalb County, Georgia. She delivers over 800 weekly meal kits, um, and Target, of course, has... 1,800 stores and $75 billion in sales. It is very much a, a David versus Goliath uh, issue. Target uh, is saying that they appreciate and respect the loss uh, or trademarks. They're aware of the lawsuit, and they're they're confident that they are distinctive from her. Uh, now, what is, is Good and Gather? Um, it is an, an outlet that will be a multi-billion-dollar business. And it looks like it, the, the, the Georgia company's 
convinced, and I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at both of the logos here, and I can understand why she's a little bit concerned uh, with Target uh, launching one of its big endeavors, which is at groceries and meals. She delivers box uh, meals in Georgia. She delivers fresh produce in Georgia, and it's Garnish and Gather. And here comes Target doing the exact same thing, and they now use the name Good and Gather and have a very similar logo. So here's a Georgia small businesswoman who's filed suit against the giant uh, for trademark infringement, and good for her. I, I got to say, um, I find that courageous of her to do because a lot of these companies will they'll either take money and change their own name and disrupt their brand, or they'll just decide, you know what, I can't fight. I think this is this is smart of her to do. They did try to negotiate, but in her mind, uh, I, I'm, I'm reading here now through the tea leaves, the, she felt like Target was essentially trying to bully her uh, into caving, and she didn't want to cave. She poured money into this business, 800 weekly meal kit subscribers. She's got 12 employees. Uh, she's not a billion-dollar corporation, and Target is, and she's willing to fight them. She should be praised for this, particularly when here comes Target trying to do the exact same thing she's been doing. Uh, stepping on her toes and into her business. So good for her. Uh, good for Miss Golub here in Georgia, taking on this massive national corporation uh, for trying to do the same thing. When we come back, Mark Lauder from Trump 2020 is going to join me here on the show. Welcome back. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We're waiting on Mark Lauder to call in. He's joining me by phone, hasn't called in yet, uh, with the president's campaign as the Democrats head to Georgia. They're debating tonight uh, on MSNBC, uh, trying to make a play for Georgia. It's going to be very interesting to see how they try to make this play. And the main reason I think it's going to be interesting to see how they try to make the play is because... um, Stacey Abrams, in her op-ed in the Washington Post, asserts that Georgia is far more liberal uh, than I think it actually is. I mean, for example, the conventional wisdom from the media and from Abrams is that uh, fetal heartbeat legislation in Georgia would be fatal. And yet uh, the the popularity of the Republicans in Georgia has gone up. The popularity of Brian Kemp has gone up. popularity of David Perdue has gone up. Uh, and yet they want to come to Georgia and, and try to make that claim. I, I don't think they're going to be able to. Now, uh, joining me by phone, Mark Lauder uh, with the president's campaign. Let's see. Can I fire up the call? There we go. Mark, how are you? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining me today. So you got all the Democrats now headed to Georgia tonight, and uh, it seems like they want to make a play for the state, and and Stacey Abrams in the Washington Post urging them to be uh, even more progressive than they already are. Yeah, I just don't see that as being a winning formula. And, you know, I mean, I I had the the honor of living here for a couple of years, uh, you know, uh, in in the last decade or so. And the one thing that we know is that Georgia has the number one state in the country for business for a reason. It's when you lower taxes, you lower regulations, and and you do the things that want to create businesses, attract jobs, it works. And so when the Democrats take the stage tonight and talk about all of their job-killing proposals, I think that's just going to be fundamentally at odds with what Georgia can see with their own eyes. Well, not only that, but I'm just, I'm wondering, um, you know, listen, I, 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 I think there's data in the suburbs that suggests that voters of the suburbs are somewhat skeptical of the president. But I, I gotta, I gotta think that given the choice between their 401k and and the Democrats' economic plans, that uh, people are going to be rushing to go support the president in 2020. 
Uh, and I think they will because I mean, this this is going to come down to a choice, as you said, and it's going to come down to do you want your child's college savings or your retirement savings to continue to go up? Do you still want to live in a country where we have more jobs now than we do unemployed people and where wages have gone up three times faster under President Trump in just three years than they did under 16 years under Presidents George W. Bush and, and President Obama. We've shown the results can work. And I think for many, many Americans, for many people, especially those out in the suburbs, it's OK to, to choose the results over this this radical proposal that the, the, the Democrats are putting on the stage. Well, while this is – while you and I are talking, of course, we, we've got the impeachment situation going on in Congress. And I find it very interesting that in swing districts, of which Georgia has several, including the 6th Congressional District with Lucy McBath, the, the majority of voters and, and a clear, decisive majority of independent voters want this decided at the ballot box and, and not through the, the impeachment process. No, you're absolutely, and I, and I think that just underscores what we've seen for a long time, that people know that this is nothing more than politics. And, and the fact that Democrats had actually had to poll and do focus groups on what they were going to accuse the president of shows you that this is not about the rule of law or the Constitution. This is about them trying to stop the president from being reelected next year. You had Nancy Pelosi, you had AOC, you had Representative Green, all saying in recent weeks, if we don't impeach this guy, he will be reelected. And I don't think the American people are going to stand for that. They want these things decided at the ballot box and not with just political stunts and gamesmanship. Yeah, it's it's high. I, I, I keep watching this, and, and I don't see anybody's mind being made up on this. We might as well settle it at the ballot box. And, and people in Georgia, I think, uh, given the polling, uh, they don't support it. And, and I'm, I'm actually interested, if I can go down d- a little bit of a dive with you for where the campaign is. How do you guys see Georgia, particularly given the Democrats saying that they think Georgia is going to be a winnable battleground state for them? Well, I mean, I would I would disagree with that, uh, and and very easily so. And but we're not taking it for granted. So we already have people on the ground here. We are registering voters. We are identifying voters, and we're training an army of volunteers that are going to be able to go out there and talk to their friends, talk to their neighbors one on one, and and tell them why it is that we need to keep uh, President Trump in office. And it, and this is a uh, this is a president who, despite nonstop negative coverage in the media and and all of the attacks he just keeps going we see the results that are happening because of it and even though if things have gotten closer i mean we still won that governor's race in georgia we still won you know and will win in the senate races and and those kinds of battles and it doesn't mean that we're not going to have to fight for it but this is a campaign that's record fundraising and putting record amounts of resources on the ground. And I think those are going to be the difference in a lot of these close states. Well, you mentioned the closest in 2018. And one of the things I've been critical of is there was not a lot of training of volunteers and there was not a lot of door-to-door in the suburban areas. Uh, those those um, door-to-door, for example, got outsourced to groups that wound up not having the budget to do it. And uh, the the governor had gone out, out of state or down into South Georgia and focused there, rightly so, I think. So having the Trump team come in, in particular, having people in those suburbs. But you mentioned training. If people want to be involved in the campaign in Georgia, where do they go to, to get the training to be of best use for, to the campaign as possible? Yeah, go to go to DonaldJTrump.com. Sign up. We will get you connected with the local trainings. In fact, I was down in Florida on Saturday where we had over 100 people uh, and, and Asian Americans and, 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 uh, and Pacific Island wow. uh, natives 
all there. That was their focus. They want to go door to door. They want to talk to folks in their communities. We see the same thing. You saw the president here just a few weeks ago uh, with the launch of Black Voices for Trump. Uh, it's something that we take very seriously. And it, just to put a perspective on it, I think in, in 2016, we had about 90,000 volunteers or so. We're going to have 2 million. That is our target. We are training them already. Uh, trainings are going on all across the country in every single state. Uh, and it's those folks who are going to go out and recruit even more people to be able to talk about the great things that are going on. And uh, we're going to win this thing on the ground uh, by just getting, making sure that people who support the president like what's going on get out there and vote and bring a few friends with them. And so the website, DonaldJTrump.com, people can go sign up. They can be volunteers. And, and so now are you, are you training people how to do door-to-door or how to talk to their, their friends, family, and neighbors about why they should support the president? Absolutely. And that's one of the things where the, the – where the fact that we are so far ahead of the Democrats in terms of our data operation, we have the ability now to not just give people an address and tell them to go knock on the door and tell them to vote. We can actually arm our volunteers with the information about the key issues that that person in that household that, that matters to them. So we can talk to them about the things that truly resonate with them and do that at a very individualized, customized basis. Uh, it is really light years ahead of anything that the Democrats can do. We see it in our advertising side. We're also going to see it in our ground game. Nice. Mark, listen, thanks very much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Always good to hear. Mark Lauder with Trump 2020. Uh, yeah, yeah, go to you know, I've been, I sound like a broken record here often on how to do door-to-door and grassroots, and it sounds like they've got a good plan. The fact that they're going to teach you how to essentially individually customize. Now, now how does that work? Um, you know, it's actually very interesting how this stuff works, and I, I'm I've been a student of it for a while. And let me, if you've never understood, how can Mark Lauder say they're going to train you to go door to door and they're going to uh, customize the door to door plan so that you know what your neighbors are interested in? Well. It takes a lot of effort to do that, and this is what I would suggest, that if you're ever, if you're a candidate for office, here's what you should do, and it sounds like it's what the president is doing at the very grassroots level. Go knock on every door of everyone who's going to vote. Now, if you're running in a Republican primary, what you do is you go to the Secretary of State and you get the list of voters and you find the ones who are considered hard Republicans. Now, how can you tell? Well, typically they're given that label. You can go through a private company, and they specifically will label, but I think the Secretary of State's office actually gives the labeling of HR, HD, SR, SD, S, and G. Um, HR and HD, hard Republican Democrat. The SRSD, soft Republican Democrat. S is swing, G is general election only. And now what is that? Well, uh, hard Republican, hard Democrat, those are people who vote in every Republican or every Democratic primary and go vote in the general election. The odds are if you're voting in every primary for a party and then the general election, you are a hard voter for that party. The the soft one is you vote um, in a lot of them, but you don't vote in all of them. Maybe you vote in the presidential primaries for the GOP and you vote in, in uh, the general election. You're probably a soft Republican or a soft Democrat if you vote in the only the presidential uh, primaries for the Democrats in the general election. Uh, if you vote uh, some Republican primaries, some Democratic primaries, and you show up and, and you vote in the general election, you're a swing voter. If you're just if you got a G next to your name, it means you don't do not vote in primaries, but you do vote in the general election. So let's say now that you are uh, running in a Republican primary. You want the Republican nomination. Here's what you should do. This is a, a one more step than what the president has to do because he's already the nominee. 
get a bunch of volunteers and find get your voter list and find every hard Republican on the list. Delete everybody else from the list. And you and your volunteers go knock on every single door. And you ask them one question and you write down their answer. What do you think the biggest issue is in our local community? Ask that question of all the Republicans. And then you and your volunteers get together. You collect all those responses. You put them in a database. There's software that helps you do it. You can use an Excel spreadsheet. Doesn't matter. And you list them. The biggest issue. Is it the water system? Is it the sewage system? Is it the local schools? Is it crime? Is it roads? Is it cost of internet access? Is it cost of food? Is it trash collection? Is it building? Is it um, people are tired of the strip malls? Is it, uh, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, you, you list them. And you list them and you tie them through a database into the individual voters. And there are, again, lots of software to do this. And so then what you do is you begin to make a play for those voters. You formulate a plan. Let's say the number one issue in your community, it's not health care. It's not taxes. It's not crime. It's something very small. It's trash collection. The majority of your voters in your district are mad about how the trash is being collected. Well, you know what? Formulate a plan. Say, for example, you're, you're, if it's run by the city and not privatized, you're going to privatize it and you're going to get contractual obligations from these companies. They're going to pick it up at a certain amount of time. Um, they will work on days. If they skip a holiday, they'll be there the next morning. You'll make certain guarantees. You'll put it in a contract and you'll find someone who can do a better job of trash collection than who's ever doing it right now. Or if it's private, maybe you got to say, hey, let's, let's let the county take it over or find a new contractor, do something, sue. And then you go knock on every Republican's door who said trash collection was their big issue. And you say, hey, my name is Eric Erickson. I'm running for state legislature. I'm running for city council. I'm running for county commission. And I'm running because I'm really mad about how trash collection is working. And we got to improve. I've got a plan to improve it. I'm sure you know that this is a problem. And they're thinking, hey, yeah, I trash is my big issue. In fact, I told a surveyor a few weeks ago that trash was my big issue. And they probably won't put two and two together, but you'll probably win that vote. And then let's say the the number two issue, the number two issue is crime. Well, when you knock on the houses where crime's an issue, you say, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm Merrick Erickson. I'm running. I want to talk to you about crime in our community. It's why I'm running for office. Um, Crime. And, you know, I'm also real concerned about trash collection. Trash collection is a real problem. A lot of your neighbors complain about trash collection. I am too. But crime is also an issue. And and we can't just run on trash collection because crime's an issue. And here's my plan to solve it. I want to boost pay for sheriff's deputies. I want to retain sheriff's deputies. I want to do more training. I want to equip the police force better. We can do it without raising taxes because we can cut over here. By the way, with, with trash, we can privatize it. We can save money through privatization. We'll get better efficiencies out of it. We can use the savings to go into police. You can tie it all together. And you go knock on all these doors. Well, that's essentially what the president's doing at, at a macro level. You heard Mark Lauder say you can go sign up, go to DonaldJTrump.com, and you can go through the trainings and learn how to do door-to-door. And what they will tell you is that they've already done the surveys. 
See, they've hired pollsters or they've hired volunteers and they've gone in and they've done psychographic profiles of people in the community. And they know, for example, that your next door neighbor has gone to a county commission meeting and has complained about crime. And so when you go for your training, you're going to get a list of people whose doors to knock on that you may know. In fact, one of the things they'll do is they will ask you to sync your address book on your phone with the campaign so the campaign can see everybody you know so that you can reach out to people. Even in other states, you can make a phone call. And so you can find your friend who lives in Des Moines, Iowa, who you live in in Clarksville, Georgia. You've got a friend who lives in Des Moines, Iowa. They're in your address book. You've gone to be trained by the Trump campaign, and, and you know that their big concern is their 401k, and they're nervous about the president of the 401k, and you can call Bob in Des Moines, who is your longtime friend, and say, hey, Bob, I'm here doing volunteer work for the Trump campaign in Georgia, and you know your name came up with the campaign because I, I – sh- Gave them all my contacts, and they said, hey, you know this guy in Des Moines, and I wanted to reach out to you and and tell you, I know you're concerned, Bob, about your 401k. And you know, Bob, I am too, because let's admit it, the president sometimes gets a little crazy out there on social media. Let's just acknowledge it, Bob. And that's what the campaign's telling them, by the way, is just just acknowledge the problem. You heard Mark Lauder say that to me, that people want to vote for the reality of results. The reality of results. That's what you're going to tell Bob. Bob, listen, I know you got concerns. I do. But, Bob, are you going to vote for the reality of the president's demeanor or the reality of the president's results? Because the reality of the president's results, Bob, is that he's doing really good for your 401k. Markets are at an all-time high. The stock market's doing well. Your stock portfolio is doing well. Your 401k is doing well. you got a good job. Pay's going up. The tax cuts have worked, Bob. The Democrats are going to get rid of the tax cuts. That's going to send the market down. That's going to hurt your 401k, Bob. Do you really want Bob to go with the Democrats or are you going to go with the president, Bob? Bob, what's it going to be? We're friends. You know me. You know I'm not going to BS you, Bob. What do you think? That's what the campaign's doing. And the Democrats have competing technologies. The president has a head start on it. Why does the president have a head start on it? Because in Atlanta, Georgia tonight, there are going to be 2,000 Democrats on a stage competing for five minutes of airtime apiece to yell at each other and say why they're the better Democrat and why the president is trash. The president didn't have to do any of that. The president can just go out and reach out to the voters, make contact with the voters, and convince the voters the Democrats are going to be ruinous. But more importantly, the president has a plan and he's got the reality of his record that he can stand on that the Democrats don't have. You know, with the legislature meeting in January, it is worth highlighting uh, the the activist army that we have. I realize we throw in these little blurbs sometimes and, and they go over your head. You're not paying attention other than the recipe one. Um, but if, if you text recipe to 33777, you text the word recipe to the number 33777, You'll get an email, you'll get a text back and it'll say, what's your email address? And you'll send your email address and that'll subscribe you. And at 1230 today, you will get uh, two recipes. You will get the, um, the, the sausage egg bake and the French toast casserole recipes. You can make them together to feed your family a good breakfast during the Thanksgiving season when they're all together. They're great meals. I do. I make these two every year at this time of year. But if you text instead the word army, to 33777. 
what happens is you're going to get an email or you're going to get a text back asking for your email address and you're going to get subscribed to an activist list. And this is important and I want to tell you why. And I want to ask that you consider doing it. Um, text ARMY to 33777. You go on a special email list and you don't get regular emails from this list. What you do is you get emails when the legislature is in session here in Georgia starting in January. It keeps you up to date on um, activity before the legislature. It'll, it helps you connect to your member of the legislature. For example, one of the things that we'll do is if there's a big issue, you may get a text back instead of an email. And it'll say, click this link and I'll connect you immediately to your state legislator, uh, legislator to oppose or support X, Y, and Z. This is going to be big this year on the school choice issue. The governor wants school reform. And there's plenty of data that shows plenty of parents support school reform, but there's plenty of evidence that a number of Republicans in the state legislature are actually opposed to school reform initiatives. They blocked it last year. Jeff Duncan and, and Brian Kemp tried to push it forward, and uh, it was blocked. They need pressure from citizens in the state of Georgia. They need pressure. They need your pressure. They need your help. And all I can do is encourage you to text the word ARMY to 33777, and we will start sending action alerts when the legislature is in session, if there's good legislation or there's bad legislation, uh, so that you can be the most educated person in your community. I have this system I pay for out of my own pocket every year. It is an activist system, and the system is so cool. What I can do is I can set a link, and I can push it to you in email or to your phone, and when you click it, you can automatically, if you're on Twitter and Facebook, you can generate a Facebook message to your member of the state legislature. You can generate a tweet. You can generate an email or as need be, even I can direct connect you. What you do is you put in your address and the system is smart enough to know that, oh, if this is your address, this is your member of the state legislature and it calls them for you. It, it absolutely, it, it direct dials their office while you're on, while you click the link, you put in your address and next thing you know, your phone is ringing and it's me saying, hey, I'm going to connect you to your state legislature. Here's the issue. Here's what you need to know. Da, 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 da. Be sure to tell them this. Here we go. And then it connects you. And next thing you know, your, your state legislator's assistant is on the phone or it just lets you generate an automatic email. I write the emails for you. And you just put in your name and address, and then it says, oh, this is your state legislator. I'm going to send this email to them. Are you okay with it? And you do. But it makes you actively be involved easily. Text ARMY to 33777 to make it happen. When we come back, impeachment. We'll get into it for good. It is that time for me to tell you all how awesome the Quip electric toothbrush is. Don't, don't fast forward through this. Stick around. Listen. Uh, because it's the truth. I use my Quip every day. My daughter uses hers. My wife uses hers. We got to get our ten-year-old on a regular brushing schedule. I'm, he's that's another story for another day. Quip is a great toothbrush, folks. Uh, you can go out as I have and buy the hundred-dollar Sonic toothbrushes uh, that supposedly do some sort of brilliant job. They don't fit in the back of my mouth. I don't think they fit in the back of anybody's mouth. They're so poorly designed, and you got to take the charger with you wherever you go. It's it, they're terrible in design. The Quip was designed, you can tell, by Denison designers working together. It fits at the back of your mouth, so you can get a good brushing at the back of your teeth. Uh, it, it vibrates uh, great for two minutes, get your teeth really clean every 30 seconds. It pulses, you can, so you know it's time to move it in your mouth to a different location, so you get an even cleaning. It is great, and every three months, they send you a new brush head uh, on a subscription service. It is great. Um, everything is designed. 
great with Quip. It works on a single AAA battery. You don't have to carry a charger with you. I just, I, I really do love this product. I've been using my Quip for two years. Well before I ever advertised for them on radio, I was using Quip because I like them. Uh, it generates great, healthy toothbrushing habits. My dentist keeps thinking I'm bleaching my teeth. I'm not just on and on. I could brag about it, but see it for yourself. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You'll get your first refill pack free. That's your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G E T Q U I P.com slash E R I C K S O N getquip.com slash Erickson. Start brushing your teeth with healthy habits with Quip. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour of the show is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you're a small or a medium-sized business and you want to grow into a big business, sometimes you need access to capital, you need a loan. Uh, banks are full of bureaucracy and a pain in the butt. Uh, First Liberty of Georgia is a building and loan. They do not have a bank bureaucracy. Uh, the Frost family that runs them make their own decisions, uh, lend their money, and they're wonderful to work with. And dear friends and supporters of the show, if you're a business and you need access to capital, uh, go to firstlibertyga.com. Make sure to tell them that I sent you. Uh, so that they know you're coming from me. And thank you to First Liberty of Georgia for sponsoring the program this hour. Uh, House uh, impeachment hearings, they are in recess right now. Yesterday, you had Volker and Vindman uh, who testified, uh, Volker, Vindman, and Morrison testified. Well, we got some problems with the way things are going for the Democrats. I want to play you a couple of clips. Uh, this from Dana Bash kind of encapsulates where the Democrats are with this. But this getting across things like the word bribery, and that is, that was a political shift. We all heard Nancy Pelosi do it in her press conference last week. It was blatantly obvious that she used the word bribery intentionally because it packs more of a punch. It is more understandable for people because her goal is to penetrate public opinion. It has been. She's very open about that. And quid pro quo doesn't cut it. And that is a political uh, aim. And, mm -hmm. I, I, it, you know, it is what it is. And well, that is their goal. Yeah, uh, it is what it is. That is their goal. It is a political thing. She's trying to shape public opinion. Public opinion has been drifting away from the Democrats on this issue. And frankly, I, I think Sondland may hurt the Republicans more than anyone else today with his testimony. Vindman, I don't think, did it. I mean, he, here again, Dana Bash on Vindman's testimony. And, and it was a very dramatic moment to set up um, the place that he's coming from. Uh, one more thing. I was surprised that Republicans didn't point out uh, flatly that his very um, clear opinion was that uh, what he saw and heard on the call, what he saw going on with regard to Ukraine was inappropriate. It, it is his opinion. It might be factually based. It might be based on on the policy and, and traditions of the United States. But I was surprised the Republicans. It, it is his opinion. It is his opinion. I, I mean, we, we got the the dynamics here with the media noting with Vindman, a lot of this was his opinion. Here's what Vindman said about the call. On July 10, 2019, Alexander Danielouk, then Ukraine's national security advisor, visited Washington, D.C. for a meeting with national security advisor Bolton. Ambassador Volker and Sondland, Ambassadors Volker and Sondland, and Secretary Rick Perry also attended the meeting. I attended with Dr. Hill. We fully anticipated 
the Ukrainians would raise the issue of, meet, of a meeting between the presidents. Ambassador Bolton cut the meeting short when Ambassador Sondland started to speak about the requirement that Ukraine deliver specific investigations in order to secure the meeting with President Trump. Following this meeting, there was a short debriefing during which Ambassador Sondland emphasized the importance of Ukraine delivering the investigations into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma. I stated to Ambassador Sondland that this was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security. Dr. Hill also asserted his comments when proper. Following the meeting, Dr. Hill and I agreed to report the incident to the NSC's lead counsel, Mr. John Eisenberg. On July 21, 2019, President Zelensky won a parliamentary election in another landslide victory. The NSC proposed that President Trump call President Zelensky to congratulate him. On July 25, 2019, the call occurred. I listened on the, in on the call in the Situation Room with White House colleagues. I was concerned by the call. What I heard was inappropriate, and I reported my concerns to Mr. Eisenberg. It is improper for the President of the United States to demand a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen and a political opponent. It, here's the problem with Vindman's testimony, and you'll note that the media and the Democrats made a very big deal of how credible he was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of this was his opinion, as Dana Bash noted. Uh, it, a lot of this was his expressed disagreement with the president on the direction of how the president wanted to conduct foreign policy. And this is the thing that's come up over and over and over with people uh, who have testified is their their biggest concern is not what the president said on the call, but the direction of the president's foreign policy. And though they and I may not like the direction of the president's foreign policy, and I don't when it comes to Ukraine, I think he needs to be more pro-Ukraine than he is. But he got elected and we didn't. He gets to set the foreign policy trajectory. I mean, listen to, to this part of Vindman's testimony. Colonel Vindman, in advance of this phone call, did you prepare talking points as you did for the April 21st call? Yes, I did. Um, what were those talking points based upon? They were... So this is not in, in the public record, and I, and I can't comment too deeply, but what is uh, the, the areas that we've consistently talked to, uh, talked about in public is cooperation on uh, supporting his uh, reform agenda, um, anti-corruption efforts, and helping um, President Zelensky implement his plans to end uh, Russia's war against Ukraine. In other words, they're based on official U.S. policy? Correct. And is there a process to determine official U.S. policy? Yes. Uh, that is, my job is to coordinate U.S. policy. So throughout the preceding year that I had been on, on staff, uh, I had undertaken an effort to make sure we had a cohesive, coherent U.S. policy. Yeah, except this is the problem. Um, it may be his job to help coordinate policy, but the president is the ultimate decider of what that policy is, and it sounds very much like he didn't like it. Uh, it sounds very much like he didn't agree with the direction uh, or the course of where this is going. Here, here's Jonathan Carl from ABC News. Personal way, uh, but the White House is fo focusing on sp some specific aspects of it. What Mary mentioned in terms of the transcript being ac uh, accurate. Another important point is that this question of whether or not the transcript was inappropriately put on a super secure uh, server to try to hide it. Uh, Vindman was asked about that, and he uh, didn't see any problem with uh, how the transcript was stored and pointed out, even when it was on that super secure uh, server, he himself. 
could get it. Uh, the, sorry, the, the clip got trimmed right there. But yes, he himself could get access to it. Uh, and he didn't see a problem with it. And this was part of the Democrats' case is that they're trying to cover up the the transcript. They put it in this super secret, super secure server so that people couldn't get access to it. And, and Vindman himself says that there really wasn't a big deal. But he wasn't the only person who testified. Uh, Tim Morrison and, and Volcker also testified. Uh, Representative Jim Jordan had this exchange with Tim Morrison. Now, when I asked Colonel Vindman why he didn't go to you <clears throat> with his concerns about the call, even though you, his boss, had no concerns about anything being, I think your language was, nothing improper, nothing illegal on the call, I asked Colonel Vindman earlier this morning why he didn't go to you and instead went and talked to the lawyers, his brother, Secretary Kent, and one other person that he wouldn't tell us and chairmanship wouldn't allow him to tell us. When I asked him why he did that, um, he indicated that the lawyers had instructed him to do that and he tried to get a hold of you. Is that, is that fair? Sir, I, I, I watched part of the proceedings this morning. I, I heard him say that. Yes, sir. Yeah, he didn't go to his direct report boss. Uh, here's uh, John Radcliffe from Texas talking to Tim Morrison about all this. With respect to um, his concern about something improper, um, specifically, um, at no point did he come to you and say, uh, I heard something that I thought was improper and was a crime. Uh, sir, I have no recollection of him doing that. No bribe, no extortion, no quid pro quo, all the things that Ms. Stefanik asked you. No, no sir. All right. Yeah, uh, no recollection of any of that. And then there's Congressman Hurd. Now, I, I got to preface the Hurd testimony here. Uh, Congressman Hurd is an outgoing congressman. Uh, he represents a district in Texas that he only won by a couple hundred votes. The district is uh, trending away from the GOP. It is in large part because of President Trump that the district has so rapidly escalated away from the GOP. He's very moderate. He doesn't like the president. This is a guy that Democrats need to side with them on impeachment. He's a former CIA operative. He's on the Intelligence Committee, and thus far, he's skeptical of the Democrats' claims. Listen to this exchange with Tim Morrison. Uh, Mr. Morrison, in my last 23 minutes, who sets official U.S. policy? Sir, the president. Not some other staffer within the NSC process? Sir, the NSC staff exists to ensure the president has the full array of options for his decision. Thank you. I yield back. That he's asking this question, uh, it, it gets you to the growing sense of where a lot of these people are that, um, that this is about people in the diplomatic corps and the intelligence community not liking the trajectory of the president's foreign policy, that they don't like uh, where, what the president is doing, and they're trying to use impeachment to scuttle the president's uh, shift in foreign policy. Here's Elise Stefanik uh, going, at, going over this with these gentlemen. The truth is the facts are indeed not complicated. And I'm going to close out with two questions for the both of you. Did Ukraine open investigation into the Bidens, Mr. Morrison? Not to my knowledge, ma'am. Ambassador Volker? No, not to my knowledge either. Did either of you ever have any evidence of quid pro quo, Ms. Morrison? No, ma'am. Ambassador Volker? No, I did not. Any evidence of bribery? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah, no quid pro quo, no bribery, uh, no evidence of them. Uh, this is going to be difficult, 
a difficult tale for the Democrats to continue to build. Sondland gives them some some evidence today. Sondland saying there was a quid pro quo, but this contradicts Kurt Volker, who said this yesterday. Uh, Mr. Zeldin asked you in the deposition that in, in no way, shape or form in either readouts from the United States or Ukraine, did you receive any indication whatsoever or anything that resembled uh, a quid pro quo? Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, and the same would would go for this new um, allegation of bribery? I, I've only seen an allegation of bribery in the okay. last week. It's the same common set of facts. It's just instead of quid pro quo, now it's bribery. I, I was never involved in anything that I considered to be bribery at all. Okay, or, or extortion? Or extortion. Okay. All right, I, I, I gotta I gotta look up um, who is who's asking the question. This uh, this is the Republican Council that's asking the question. Steve Castor, the um, yeah, it was quid pro quo, but um, now it's bribery. Same set of facts, different word. Hogger's <laughs> like, nope, nope, not bribery, not quid pro quo. Uh, to put all of this in perspective, let's go to NBC and CBS. Um, Nora O'Donnell, I think it's Nora O'Donnell talking and Chuck Todd talking. Chuck Todd starts this clip with a question from Lester Holt to put into to perspective what the Democrats are having to deal with on this issue. Has the case in many ways been made? And if so, what's this all about? So the question is whether they have made the case that it hits this extraordinarily high bar that says, you know what? disqualifying him from even being able to seek re-election, right? That, that continues to be the bar they have to hit. This is not a court of law. The rules of evidence don't apply. But one thing is similar. You have Democrats who need to um, weave a compelling tale of wrongdoing. And they have to keep it tight and simple and understandable and compelling, as mentioned. Mm -hmm. We're learning now that uh, Speaker Pelosi sent a letter to her colleagues about changing the language Mm -hmm. that they use to describe this. Talk about abuse of power. Exactly. Uh, You will hear sharper terms used by the Democratic lawmakers. They know this is about winning the court of public opinion to convince the public that this impeachment inquiry was worth undertaking. Yeah, see, it's all about public opinion. It's not about the facts. It's not even about the rule of law at this point. It's about winning public opinion. And the data shows right now that the Democrats aren't winning the court of public opinion. In fact, uh, independent voters are drifting away from wanting impeachment. They just want it settled at the ballot box. And, you know, there's a lot of data that independent voters want to reject President Trump. They want the ability to vote against the president. In November, now the president may be able to change their mind, and that's what the Democrats are worried about, that between now and next November, a year from now, slightly less than a year from now, the president may be able to convince these voters to hold on to him, and, and they're worried about that. They really desperately want to beat the president, and the voters are actually saying no. And Now, the other issue here is the Senate. We can't forget the Senate. As I'm talking, Gordon Sondland is sitting back down to resume his testimony and questioning uh, we'll get into some of that audio here, but you got to listen to this from Mitch McConnell, who kind of lays it out plain. The House is going to do what the House is going to do, and when they get through, as you all know, it uh, comes over here, displaces all the business, and we'll be on it until senators decide it's time to, to reach a conclusion. I will repeat what I've said in the past. <clears throat> it's inconceivable to me that it would be 67 votes to remove the president from office. Yeah, they're not going to get it. And, you know, this puts the Democrats in an interesting position now because as they meet in Atlanta tonight for this debate, Pete Buttigieg has moved ahead of Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden in both New Hampshire and Iowa. The problem for Buttigieg is that he has zero percent support among black voters 
in South Carolina. And that's going to hurt him. Uh, he can't win the Democratic nomination with zero support for black voters. And in fact, one Democratic pollster I've talked to joked, uh, like I was saying last week, that he could technically have negative support among the black community, his polling so bad among blacks. Uh, and not just in um, in South Carolina, also in Georgia and other southern states. And also Hispanic voters in Nevada have zero support for Pete Buttigieg. Joe Biden is dominating in those states. So if they do impeachment, if they have impeachment, if they... Uh, send it to the Senate, the Democratic senators are going to be in trial for six to eight weeks, not on the campaign trail. That's going to help Biden and Buttigieg and some of these Democratic senators behind the scenes and in public, they're making a good show of it. And in private, they're starting to get really concerned that the House Democrats with impeachment could ruin their chances at the nomination. Devin Nunes is questioning Gordon Sunland. I want to move on from impeachment uh, when we come back at the bottom of the hour, but we might as well listen to some of this questioning here. We've heard uh, Sunland talking. We might as well hear him being questioned. That President Trump is a Russian agent. They're out to get, they're out to get President Trump at the time. His personal attorney is then interested in trying to figure out, okay, who are these Ukrainians that are trying to get to my candidate? As those of us, the Republicans on this committee, who were also trying to get to the bottom of who were the sources in the Steele dossier that the Democrats had paid for. The House Republicans wanted to know that all through the spring and even the summer of, and even as of today, we'd still like to know. That's why we've subpoenaed the DNC operatives that they refused to subpoena. We sent a letter this morning. Uh, I doubt we'll see those subpoenas. We want to know exactly, get to the bottom of exactly who were these Democratic operatives that were dirtying up the Trump campaign in 2016? And they just can't get over that the, that the president would send his personal attorney over there to try to get to the bottom of that. And Ambassador, you had very few dealings with Rudy Giuliani, a few text messages. A few text messages and a few phone calls. Right. So the whistleblower trying to put together here with their timeline, they seem to have a timeline problem because the whistleblower that only they know, who they won't subpoena, who clearly Mr. Vindman knows, who they blocked testimony yesterday from and would not allow Mr. Vindman to answer our questions. That whistleblower says on July 25th that there were all these promises being made. Yet the I forget what they call it, the drug deal that the three amigos were cooking up seems to be their, their latest. You're part of the three amigos in the drug deal, Ambassador. Were you aware of any drug deal on July 25th when the phone call actually occurred? I don't know about any drug deal. Right. And did you know you were part of the three amigos? I am. I'm a proud part of the three amigos. And that's the same thing Ambassador Volker said yesterday. Because by the time the, the phone call that supposedly the whistleblower claims was the reason, was the original quid pro quo, has now got down to, we're now a month later where you're involved and their quid pro quo has gotten down to, it's down to the low level of, well, they want a statement. And you didn't even know about anything to do with, on July 25th, you knew nothing about military aid being withheld. I knew uh, military aid was withheld beginning, I believe, on July 18th when Ambassador Taylor uh, told both of us that that was the case. But on July, but you don't know about, you were not on the July 25th call. I was not. 
where the aid doesn't come up at all. Again, I just read the readout when everyone else did. In well, we've had everybody's testify that was on the July 25th call right. that there was no aid discussed on the July 25th call. So then you're in the process. You have no idea that this is tied to Barisma or anybody else. You say you don't realize that until this until the end of August. Uh, I didn't realize uh, that aid was tied. Uh, the Barisma in 2016 piece was much earlier, uh, Mr. Uh, ranking member. I'm glad you you. That's Devin Nunes uh, questioning Gordon Sondland, the Republican somewhat on defensive from his testimony, as he said there was a quid pro quo. We got to move on to other stuff, though, when we come back. I got a lot of stuff I still want to talk about today beyond impeachment. If you would like to call in and be a part of the show today, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425 across the state of Georgia, around the nation and the world on Facebook Live, YouTube, and the like. Um, but here to be a show in Georgia. Uh, from here in Macon, uh, broadcast through my flagship WGAU in Athens, Georgia. Beautiful day outside here and across the state in Chile. And we got more rain moving into the state over the weekend. Um Ah, it's going to be one of those weekends. I got to get out the Christmas decorations, I guess. I normally don't do it until after Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving and Christmas are so close. Everybody in my neighborhood has their Christmas decorations up, it seems like, except for us. I've still got the pumpkins and stuff. If I'm honest about it, I still have the Halloween decorations sitting on the porch swing piled up. I need to take those back to the storage unit. But I've got the pumpkins and, and the, the cornucopias and stuff out for Thanksgiving, and I'm not sure I want to put those up yet, but... I'm probably going to have to put up the Christmas stuff this weekend because then we're going out of town for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's next week. What happened to this year? The year is flying by. My 10-year-old's going to be 11 in like three weeks. I, and he wants a gaming chair. My, so my 10-year-old has gotten into playing Fortnite on the Xbox and wants a gaming chair to sit in to play his game. And I'm just, I'm not sure I'm down with that, but... We'll see. Although he's got an Xbox and now he wants a PlayStation. And the only reason he wants a PlayStation is because the Spider-Man game is an exclusive to PlayStation. Um, I don't know about that. All right. We need to move on to other stuff. I, there are a couple stories and I need to tie them together. And the first one is from the Daily Caller. The headline is Inside the Media Conspiracy to Hype Greta Thunberg. More than 200 media outlets and journalists partnered together with activists to coordinate and hype climate change news before the 2019 UN Climate Summit. Two of the largest media outlets, BuzzFeed News and Huffington Post, did not disclose their role in the project to their readers. The project raises concerns about whether journalists should work side by side with activists to hype climate change. Now, th this is, uh, let me give you the, the credit where it's due. Chris White of Daily Caller, over 250 news outlets and journalists partnered with Columbia University School of Journalism's flagship magazine to shape control of quote-unquote climate crisis coverage in the lead-up to the United Nations Climate Conference. The coverage coordination initiative included directing how much time, space, and prominence should be devoted to the coverage and asking that climate news be added to seeming unreported unrelated stories some of the biggest media outlets in the country such as cbs and bloomberg joined the effort others such as the washington post and the new york times declined to participate in a project they reportedly feared appeared activist in nature more troubling a number of the major outlets that joined did not disclose their participation 
In addition to CBS and Bloomberg, the effort called Covering Climate Now involved BuzzFeed News, Huffington Post, The Daily Beast, The Center for Public Integrity, Newsweek, Rolling Stone, Slate, Vanity Fair, and The Weather Channel, among many others. BuzzFeed and The Huffington Post were among the major outlets that did not disclose their coordination. The coordination effort was organized in part by Columbia Journalism Review, a nonprofit that represents professional journalists and has traditionally focused on journalism ethics. Covering Climate Now's founder hoped to continue elevating climate news even after the project ended. In other words, you had a bunch of news outlets working with progressive activists to highlight climate crisis coverage and to call it climate crisis, a crisis as opposed to climate change. They've been advancing an agenda. They've been working to highlight Greta Thunberg. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, now, uh, covering climate now published a list of articles on its website throughout September that promoted climate coverage. Nearly 40 of the articles on the list of 128 failed to mention the project. The list included pieces from CBS news, Bloomberg news, and the nation, all of whom produced pieces that failed to mention their participation in the outside project designed to direct their editorial bent. Many of the articles on the list bore labels containing the words covering climate now, but do not otherwise explain what the project entails or which groups are involved. CBS News, which has not returned requests for comment, produced a September 21st feature on clear cutting in Oregon that did not include a disclosure. The title that features was who should be in charge of America's ancient forests, industry or environmentalists. It discussed the impact clearing U.S. forests has had on the environment and if private companies should be allowed to use forests. CBS News included disclosures of articles throughout September that discuss how Americans feel about climate change. Bloomberg published a statement September 16th announcing its role in the project, but the outlet still produced content and did not contain disclosures. And a bunch of wealthy climate activists participated. Now, we need to delve further into this with a separate story, um, but there's this paragraph you should know as we get into the other story. Reuters did not participate in the project, yet its editors did not object when Yared Rosen, a freelancer for the wire service, contributed. Reuters, which openly opposes advocacy journalism, dismissed any suggestion that Rosen's contributions are inappropriate. Reuters... Reading this again, this is important for the next story. Reuters, which opposes advocacy journalism, dismissed any suggestion that Rosen's contributions are inappropriate. That's Reuters, opposing activist journalism. But Reuters has a story. Let me read this to you. A November, this is, this is dated November 18th. It's been updated as of last night. A November 18th story headlined, U.S. has world's highest rate of children in detention, U.N. study, is withdrawn. The United Nations issued a statement on November 19th saying the number was not current. But for the year 2019, no replacement story will be issued. What is this about? Reuters ran a story on November 18th, late November 18th, and began pushing it aggressively yesterday. The story was based on a UN report that the United States has the world's highest rate of children in detention. 
This comes on the heels of multiple outlets reporting the Chinese are running concentration camps and the Chinese are detaining children and adults and demanding their re-education. And if they don't re-educate them, they get killed. They are required to reject their religion. They are required to reject their given names. They're required to adopt Chinese names. They're required to uh, adopt principles of the Communist Party and swear allegiance to the Communist Party and reject the idea of God. And what does the United Nations do? The United Nations pushes out something saying, hey, the U.S. actually has the world's highest rate of children in detention. And what did Reuters do? And Reuters wasn't alone in this. Multiple media outlets, but specifically Reuters, which was the first one out of the gate, ran the story that the Trump administration has detained more children than anywhere else. More children are in concentration camps in the United States than anywhere else is basically the claim that Reuters ran. So there's a problem. The United Nations had to come back out and say, wait a second, that date is from 2015. In 2015, the U.S. had the world's highest rate of children in detention. Wait a second. Who was president in 2015? That would be Donald. No, wait. No, no. Who? George Bush? No, no. Bill, no, no. That, that would be Barack Hussein Obama. <gasps> the U.S. had the world's highest rate of children in detention when Barack Obama was president, not Donald Trump. It was him. It was it was his fault. It, it was it was Barack Obama who detained the children. So what is the last sentence here? No replacement story will be issued. Do you see what's happening? Do you see? Reuters, which opposes activist journalism, wouldn't participate in the climate change stuff, but they were very happy to run a story that Donald Trump has detained more children than any other person, including the communist Chinese leader. And then when it turns out it wasn't Donald Trump, it was Barack Obama. Reuters says, sorry, wash our hands of this. We're not going to cover the story. Nope, pay no attention to it. Look the other way. No. They can't do a story pointing out that Barack Obama detained more children than any other country on the planet. A hundred thousand children was the number. And that Barack Obama did it, not, not Bill Clinton, not George Bush, not Donald Trump. Barack Obama did it. And the media's response has been, well, we got to pull the story now. We can't, we can't do this story now. We can't highlight that it was Barack Obama. Whatever happened to the concentration camps? Yet Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say that Donald Trump was running concentration camps. You, you had a man in Colorado get killed while trying to firebomb an ICE facility because he believed they were running concentration camps because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said so. You had the media not lecturing her on her irresponsibility. You had the media not lecturing us on, on how wrong she was. In fact, most of the media never even bothered to do a story on the man who killed himself, who got killed. He was shot because he was trying to firebomb an ice facility. Do you know, to my knowledge, according to, to um, Newsbusters, CNN never did a, CNN did a story on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's claims about concentration camps, but never actually did a story on the man getting shot trying to blow up an ice facility. Did not cover that story at all. 
and did not cover that the United States had the world's highest rate of children in detention when Barack Obama was president, but has very helpfully turned it into an issue with Donald Trump as president. Isn't it funny how that works? And now here comes the media again on the climate change hysteria. They want to highlight Greta Thunberg. They want to highlight uh, her claims to civil disobedience, her advocacy of civil disobedience. They want to do all of these things because Donald Trump is president. They would never do this if Barack Obama were president. They would never touch the story. In fact, they would vilify her if Barack Obama were were the president. If Barack Obama were president of the United States right now, and Greta Thunberg were coming to this country demanding civil disobedience because the United States is not doing enough on climate change, the media would savage her for disparaging Barack Obama. They would. You know it and I know it. This is why so many people can no longer treat the media seriously in this country. And it is why so many of these people are frustrated with the American public not believing them on Impeachment. How can you believe them on impeachment when they get everything else wrong? How can you believe their claims? See, there's there's a there's a a deep underlying level of frustration here with the media. The media very mad that people aren't going to be persuaded, and yet there's an underlying frustration with people that the media keeps getting these stories wrong. Again, let me play this Dana Bash clip for you one more time on impeachment and how the Democrats are having to keep changing the terms to try to persuade the public. But this. Getting across things like the word bribery, and that is, that was a political shift. We all heard Nancy Pelosi do it in her press conference last week. It was blatantly obvious that she used the word bribery intentionally because it packs more of a punch. It is more understandable for people because her goal is to penetrate public opinion. It has been. She's very open about that. And quid pro quo doesn't cut it. And that is a political uh, aim, and mm-hmm. I, I, it, you know it is what it is, and that is their goal. It is a goal. It is their goal. It is what it is. It is a political claim. They, they've had to move from quid pro quo to bribery because bribery moves the needle in a way quid pro quo doesn't, except there's a problem with their bribery narrative, and that is that the president gave Ukraine the money and Congress appropriated it, and there can't be a bribe when Congress is the one that has lawfully appropriated the money. And they should understand this, but they don't, which is staggering to me that they don't get this, that the Democrats don't get this, but they focus group the message on the president and, and they're expecting the media to willfully run with it, just as they expected the media to run with a story about uh, Donald Trump and detention facilities and children, just as they expected the media to run with climate change stories. It's all to get the president. It's all to go after the president. It's all to undermine the presidency and more and more people are having none of it. Fascinating dynamics. Now, before I get, before we go to break, there's one more story I got to highlight. I got this off drudge um, just so you know, and I've been waiting for a story like this to come up. Unfortunately, it has come from the Daily Star, which isn't a very reliable source, but the story itself, the, the claims itself are true. You know, whatever happened to cloning? Remember all the stories about cloning Barbara Streisand? She cloned uh, her dog. She made clones of the dog, etc. Um, y'all, turns out the clones aren't working. 
Turns out that the clones are, they have all sorts of problems. And this the story chronicles them. Millionaires and billionaires are cloning their animals because they want another of their fluffy, exactly the same fluffy. And the problem is that uh, it's it's turning into the nightmare scenario. The the animals are being born and they have genetic abnormalities and stuff. We we are playing God, and God is mocking us for playing Him. We are trying to stand in the role as Creator, and it's very clear that we cannot be. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In in Hebrew, it's seven words which there's a lot of symbolism in, in the original Hebrew being seven words uh, for God creating the, the heavens and the earth in seven days. The first line is, uh, the first verse of the Bible is seven words. God created the heavens and the earth, and the word create is the word bara, and bara is a word that only is assigned to God in the Bible. Humans cannot bara, it is a means of divinely creating. God divinely created the heavens and the earth. God divinely created the animals and the plants. And here come people trying to clone animals, trying to bara the animals, and they can't. They're coming out defective. They're coming out with all sorts of problems. Uh, One man says... um, uh, Ralph Fisher, he, he paid to have his tame bull Chance cloned, and things seemed okay at first when the bull he decided to call Second Chance was born. For example, the clone ate the unusual way Ralph recognized from his predecessor, lifting his head and chewing instead of dipping his whole head in the feed bucket. I'd never seen another animal do that. I thought it was the same animal. I thought we got him back. But it wasn't long before differences began emerging, including most scarily... He was not tame. He attacked Ralph twice. It's not the same animal. It's a clone. It's people playing God, and God is mocking them in their efforts to do so. It it is amazing to watch millionaires and billionaires spend money to clone little Fluffy. And little Fluffy comes back, and it turns out little Fluffy has genetic abnormalities, ages more quickly than old Fluffy, and bites you when old Fluffy loved you because God's mocking you for trying to play at God. So I got to get back into the impeachment stuff because this just happened, uh, this exchange between Gordon Sundland and the uh, GOP's counsel. Did the president ever tell you personally about any preconditions or anything? No. Okay, so the president never told you about any preconditions for the aid to be released? No. Uh, The president never told you about any preconditions for a White House meeting? Personally, no. uh, You said you didn't have your records or your documents from the State Department, but if you did, there wouldn't be any document or record that ties President Trump personally to any of this, correct? Boy, I don't want to speculate what would be on... Your documents or records? I don't recall anything like that. Okay, no. Good heavens, okay. Um, You testified uh, Mr. Giuliani's requests for a a quid pro quo for the White House meeting, Um, and you indicated that you believe that was, he was evincing President Trump's interests, correct? My contact with Mr. Giuliani began, as I said, very late in the process, uh, after August 1st, when I was first introduced to him by by a text from Ambassador Volker. So we had already begun those discussions, I believe, with the Ukrainians prior to August 1st, so everything was being funneled through others, including Mr. Volker. Okay. But you testified that Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the president, correct? 
That's our understanding, yes. But how did you know that? Who told you? Well, when the president says, talk to my personal attorney, and then Mr. Giuliani, as his personal attorney, uh, makes certain requests or demands, we assume it's coming from the president. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not testifying that I heard the president tell Mr. Giuliani to tell us, so... That's where they're going to hang their hat on, uh, that they are making Rudy the fall guy. They are absolutely making Rudy the fall guy, and they've got to. And, and Sondland came into this thinking they're going to make him the fall guy, and, and he clearly wanted to go around it, clearly wanted to blow it up. I suspect you're going to see the GOP turn on Sondland pretty rapidly, given his testimony today. But what's really going to be um, a big deal is you're going to have Rudy Giuliani be the one who gets the blame. And honestly, he deserves to get the blame. Rudy, the president of the United States would not be subject to impeachment right now, except for the fact that Rudy Giuliani believed a bunch of blue haired conspiracy theorists who went on overnight shows on Fox News and sold him a bill of goods. Is there legitimacy to the claim that Ukraine tried to help Hillary Clinton? Absolutely, there is. Uh, Did they actually help her? Well, hell, she didn't get elected, did she? No, she did not. Does the president want answers? Yeah, and frankly, the Democrats ought to just concede that point that, yeah, the president does deserve some answers on 2016. It's it's the Biden stuff where they're hanging their hat, and that's confusing people and allowing the Republicans to muddy the water. But ultimately, even the Biden-Burisma stuff comes from Rudy Giuliani believing blue-haired pun. And I apologize if you're offended, but these people are they're geriatrics on Fox News who believe a bunch of conspiracy theories, and they've convinced the president of these things, and they're not true, and the president's going to get impeached because of these idiots around him. Rudy Giuliani should be the fall guy for this, and the president should not be impeached.